All right, well, maybe I just shouldn't move. What's up? Um, one of the things, uh, we're coming to the end of our study of the, the Gospel of Mark, and it's been 50-some weeks uh, of us slowly walking through. We, If this is your first time here or uh, you've been here for a short time, we started as a church walking through the book of Ephesians and uh, recognizing that God is saying, uh, your identity is found in me. In no place else, even though the, the grocery store lines, the checkout lines, the magazines say, you know what, your identity is found in what you do, in how you look, where, uh, how you dress. Fashion says this. Hollywood says this. Uh, your workplace says this. This is where your identity is found. But the book of Ephesians, the good news of Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, listen, your identity is found in the Creator. He's the one who created you, formed you, the Imago Dei, the, the image of God is deeply embedded in you. But because of sin, everything is deeply broken. So we walk slowly through that, asking, what does it mean to be a part of this kingdom, this movement, where we're created, we're a part of Christ, we're in Christ? Well, we decided, you know what, we, we've gone from Ephesians. We've asked these questions. What does it mean to be in Christ? So we, we've been walking through since, what, 2007 sometime, uh, the Gospel of Mark. If our identity is found in Christ, who is this Christ? And we're coming to the end. And at first I thought, you know what, uh, I know pastors, you know, when you're in seminary, one of the things is to time everything really perfectly and to, you know, if you're going to do a, a long series, make sure it coincides with the, the, the church calendar and everything is just really sweet and slick moving. Well, we haven't had a lot of those moments. Um, it, you know, Mother's Day, I think, wasn't it Mother's Day we talked about divorce? Um, and, you know, just, just bad, seems like bad timing. Um, but in the same time, as I look at, we're going to be finishing the Gospel of Mark on November 22. And at the end of this Gospel, we are going to be moving into Advent. So we're looking at the life, the death, the resurrection, Him going to the right hand of the Father, and then we get started all over again. With, with his, his life, you know, the incarnation of Christ, and the, the constant re-reminding, and it's kind of this back-to-back of, he died and he rose again so that we can have life and we're back at it. But as I'm looking at the incarnation, going all the way back to the beginning, Mark, looking at Luke 2, birth is messy. If you're a mother or you, as a father, you've had the opportunity to be present at your child's birth, or if you're one of those strange people that enjoy watching those TLC shows, you know, I'm praying for you now, but, you know, uh, those hours of labor, it, it's messy, isn't it? It's not just this clean cut, oh, bing, there's a baby from a stork. It, it, it's messy. And, and Jesus was introduced to our world in this messy kind of way. He, with Mary, was, there was afterbirth, there was blood, there was pain, there were cries, 
It was messy. And now we're looking at Mark chapter 15. And we're, we're looking at his death. You know, God has, has a way of saying, listen, life is messy. It's not this pretty, pristine kind of way of doing life. Listen, e- even in how I offer you salvation, it's not pretty. But it requires this kind of way. The means that Christ offered salvation offers us just this visual representation of salvation that is not neat and clean. So I want you to turn to uh, Mark chapter 15. If you don't have your, your Bibles open, grab one that's uh, in the aisles. Follow along with me. And we're going to uh, be looking at, starting at uh, verse 21 of chapter 15. And we're going to go to verse 32. Before we op- open it and read it, let's, let's just pray. God, Your words are faithful and true. These are your God-breathed words. You, you exhaled them. You breathed life into ink so that we may have life, so that we may understand you. Spirit, would you uh, do your work this morning in our midst, that as we read Scripture, as we proclaim the good news, as we hear it, as it ministers to our hearts, Lord, would it transform us this morning again. May we be reminded of the gospel that we received, the gospel in which we we now stand, and the same gospel that is changing us and transforming us. God, would you do your work this morning in the midst of your people that you have gathered here this morning? As we read Scripture too, Lord, would you work in the heart of the man, woman, child who does not yet know you, who has questions about you. Lord, would the eyes of their heart be open to the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. The Gospel, according to Mark, starting at verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified Him. And the inscription of the charge against Him read, King of the Jews. And with Him, they crucified two robbers, one on His right and one on His left. And those who passed by derided Him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, Save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. 
He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. This, this is the birth of Christianity. The thing that seems, that supposedly gives us hope. A cross. One author uh, that I was reading this week said, Christians worshiping and adoring the Christ on the cross is like worshiping a criminal in an execution chair. The cross is a means of capital punishment. Hearing stories this week, I read through what what capital punishment looked like using an electric chair. It It is gruesome. And the pain that goes on and there's, there's even stories about the people who are in the watching room who cheer at the death of this person. Much like Christ, he experienced the same thing. People passing by and celebrating. Saying, yeah, come on. Come down from the cross. You can save yourself. Now do this. So that we can believe. Christ experienced that same pain. But there's something deeper and more profound and far more beautiful in the cross than in an electric chair. Something beautiful. Last week we tapped into it just a little bit with a a quote from uh, Thomas Schreiner talking about what is penal substitutionary atonement. What, what, What really is taking place on this cross? What is going on here that gives Christians hope, that gives us joy, that, that causes us to worship, to weep, to, to cry out in joy, to go out and, and love other people who are difficult and painful? What is it that this cross compels us? What, what is it about it that compels us to do these things, to give our lives to Jesus Christ? Thomas Schreiner says this, The Father, because of His love for human beings, sent His Son who offered Himself willingly and gladly to satisfy His justice so that Christ took the place of sinners. The punishment and penalty we deserve was laid on Jesus Christ instead of us. So that in the cross, both God's Holiness and love are manifested. In the cross, God's holiness and His love are manifested. His justice and love are made real. He provided a way in in Jesus Christ. Provided a way so that we could have hope. So that we can live. Because, you know what? We are all dead in our sins. We're hopeless. We are the walking dead. And without Jesus' righteousness, we're hopeless. We are the walking dead. And God the Father, out of His love, provided a way that satisfied 
His justice, His holiness, and His love. As we walk through this, we see Simon of Cyrene, who is instantly compelled into service. He, he was coming from, they say, from the country. More than likely, he was coming from, from Africa as a Jew to come and worship at Passover. At the one high holy day of all of Israel, if you were a good Jew, you would come back to Jerusalem to have your sins atoned for. And as he was coming into the city, there was Jesus going down the path to the cross. And immediately, the Roman soldiers, as Jesus was stumbling, the, the other Gospels laid out far more, far more uh, elaborately of what was going on. But Jesus was stumbling through the streets after having his back just torn to shreds. Blood was just dripping from his body. Barely able to walk. And the Roman soldier said, You, pick up this cross. For some reason, Mark in his, his writing mentions that Simon of Cyrene is the father of two men. As I'm going, well, that's kind of odd. That's like throwing in Paul. Dad of Grace and Isaac. There's some reason. If you look at Romans, in Romans 16, you see that there was an apparent impact on that family. As they came to Jerusalem to see the, the sacrificial lamb, the perfect spotless, blameless lamb to be sacrificed in the temple courts, as his, as his throat was to be cut and to be bled out for all of all of Israel, Simon of Cyrene met the true Lamb. And that had an impact on his family. Because in, in Romans it says, and greet Rufus. Something happened in that family that transformed. As they watched Jesus go to the cross, family was impacted, deeply impacted. And they took him to the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And Jesus went through from that point on just an extremely painful, difficult thing. Why don't you throw up what C.S. Lewis had to say in, in his book as he describes something how, uh, and this is just a beautiful demonstration, he creates the universe already foreseeing, or should we say, seeing. There are no tenses in God. The buzzing cloud of flies about the cross, the flayed back, pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the medial nerves, the repeated incipient suffocation as the body droops, the repeated torture of the back and arms as it, as it is time after time, for breath's sake, hitched up. And he goes on to say, if I may dare the biological image, God is a host who deliberately creates his own parasites, causes us to be that we may exploit and take advantage of him. Herein is love. 
This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. God, knowing before the creation of the world that humanity would fall, allowed the creation of the flies that buzzed around Jesus in this bloody mess. He allowed the creation of this this terrible instrument of death and torture as a tool of love. And there was extreme pain, as as C.S. Lewis paints, as as the nails are, are driven deeply through the nerves. And as he's trying to breathe, Jesus was in deep pain. And the Jewish women of those days would mix wine and myrrh, which would, it's, the sap of myrrh would be this uh, numbing agent, which would just take away the pain temporarily so that the person would have as little pain as possible. But what did Jesus do? He refused it. He refused taking any numbing agent whatsoever. That's like a woman going through birth without any drugs. I don't understand it. My wife doesn't understand it. God bless you if you choose it. But choosing nothing to kill the pain. Jesus refused it. He rejected any form of relief for His suffering because He wanted to maintain clarity of mind all the way to the end bearing the full weight of His suffering. He wanted to bear the full weight, knowing clearly the weight of the world. Because on Him were all the sins of the world. All the sins of the world. The sins of the past, the present, and the sins to come. He bore them all at that moment. And He wanted to have full knowledge of every sin of John Solomon, of Laura Vroom, of Sarah Phillips, of Casey Warren, of Deb Swell. He wanted to know every sin in full detail and bear them fully on the cross. He wanted to know our sins intimately and take them and remove them completely. You want to talk about love? You want to talk about a wonderful cross? Seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? When I survey the wondrous cross, the wondrous cross, it seems like they shouldn't go together. But that wondrous cross was the means of offering us salvation. So with just extreme restrained simplicity, Mark says, they crucified Him. No details. The the Roman readers of that day knew exactly what was taking place. But with just extreme, restrained simplicity, He said, they crucified Him. Now I can imagine if John Mark was there that day watching all of this, or if Peter was telling him the, the details the tears that were flowing from their eyes 
We hear sermons about this. Oh, and we even wear our nice little crosses. But do we get the cross? Do we understand the transaction that took place at the cross? Does it compel us to tears, to worship, to mission? No, no, you tell me. Examine your life. Does it take you from uh, your place of comfort to a place of discomfort in following Christ? Why the cross? Of all things, why is it necessary for the cross? One, it just fulfills biblical prophecies. In Deuteronomy 21, it talks about uh, if anyone hangs on a tree... He is to be cursed. To be considered cursed. And even in Galatians, it goes on to talk about, and let me just go there because it is just, it's quality. Of course, it's Scripture. Galatians, chapter 3. Starting at 10. For all who rely on works of the law are, are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law and do them. Now it is, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them, does them, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us. From the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. For it is written. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christ hanging on a cross. He became the curse. He came under the wrath of God so that we can have life. So that we can have hope. So that we are no longer dead in our sins. But that we have life with Christ. So that our identity is truly found in Christ. Because there's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. There's nothing that you can do. Your good works, your, your aspirations, your social justice stuff. It's just garbage before God. Unless you have been redeemed. Because then they take on a whole new meaning. You're taking part of the story of God. The creation, fall, redemption, and the restoration of His kingdom. It goes on. That they divided up his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide who should take what. Again, this is Psalm 22. Read Psalm 22 in your spare time and you'll see the cross. It's just, you know, you'll even hear the words of Christ as he's on the cross being echoed here. Read Psalm 22 for your devotions and you'll get a, a fresh new perspective of what took place. And it was the third hour when they came and crucified Him. 
about nine o'clock in the morning. And the inscription of a charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And I'll tell you, it sent the religious leaders up a wall. Come on. And in the other gospels, they're, they're just begging Pilate, could you change that? That's what he said, but that's not why. It's blasphemy. Come on, let's change it. And Pilate says, it is what it is. He's the king of the Jews. That's the charge. The beautiful thing is if you go to the end, you go to how the story is completed, you, you see in Revelation chapter 19, starting at 11 and going through 16, Then I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful. And true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dripped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him. On white horses, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will judge, he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. King of kings. Not just king of the Jews. King of of kings, Lord of lords. This is Jesus riding in on the last day saying, this is who I am. Riding in on a white horse to judge the nations. I am faithful and I am true to the end. And I am King of kings. Lord of Lords. But the world doesn't get it. Those who passed by derided him. It literally meant keep on slandering. They kept on and kept on and kept on slandering, much like the world that's around us. Jesus? Who? Keep on slandering Jesus. He says he can he has saved others, but he can't save himself. What a liar. What a hoax. You believe in that? Look at him. Look at this Christ. He's on a cross. Come on. For goodness sakes, he's gonna die. And in Jesus' ears, his own words echo, for even the Son of Man came not. To be saved, but to save. And to give His life as a ransom for many. As a ransom for Paul. For me. He gave His life for me. He gave His life, and on that cross was nailed my pride, 
the sins of my eyes, of my heart, of my mind, the sins of omission and commission, every one of my sins is nailed to that cross. Every one of your sins has been nailed to that cross. Your sins of gossip, your sexual sins, your financial sins, your sins of pride, your sins of lack of doing, the lack, or your sins of overdoing, your sins of trying to be God Himself. Nailed to the cross. And He came not to be served, but to serve. And how did He do it? The cross. I think we need to leave this passage, you know, even looking at the religious leaders. And they did the same thing, just deriding Jesus. He says the same things that those other people said. He saved others and He can't save Himself. And Jesus is going, you don't get it. I'm not here to save me. I'm not here to save me. Do you not understand? I'm here to save you. And that's the Gospel. The good news for us who are saved. That He's here to redeem our continued sins. As we look to the cross again, and as I've had just a crappy week, I realize that I need the Gospel even more. As I, as I write articles about my bread truck Mondays, where it's just, you know what? There's, there's just those days, those weeks, those months, those years where I would much rather drive a bread truck than be a pastor. It's easier. And as one of my pastor friends from Washington said, yeah, bread sw- smells nice. It doesn't talk back. You, if you crash the truck, you get a new one. Pastoral ministry, man, I'll tell you, it wears on me. I love my chiropractor. He does beautiful work on me. I long for the sweetest masseuse to do work on my back because the stress that I take on, and this week, the revelation that, you know what? I need the Gospel. I need Jesus Christ more. The One who died for me. And is continuing to save me. I need Jesus Christ even more today than I did yesterday. We need to walk away with a deep sense of Christ's love. His love for the world. His love for for the church, his, his chosen children. We need to remember what we are. We're, we, if we're honest, we're corrupt. No amen there, huh? Um, we're, we're evil. We're selfish. We've got our own agenda. But we also need to remember who Jesus is. Eternal God 
and the Maker of all things. And He voluntarily endured the most painful, horrible, disgraceful death. And for me, the song that just keeps going through my head constantly. And the title of this this sermon is The Wondrous Cross. And I want you to throw up that first slide. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Next one. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Save in the death of Christ my God all the vain things that charm me most. You see it? The bright shiny objects that distract you? I sacrifice them to His blood. Next verse. See from His head, His hands, His feet, Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine? That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands, demands my soul, my life, my all. Love so amazing, so divine. That it demands everything. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The second is like it. That you love your neighbor. That you love yourself. And how do we love ourselves? By finding our, our identity deeply embedded in Jesus Christ. Recognizing the price that was paid. corrupt people like you and me. And that only makes the second commandment just like it. When we recognize who we are and what Christ has done, that's when we can love our neighbor as ourself. That's when reconciliation, the difficult work of the church, takes place. With family members, with brothers and sisters in Christ within the church, with the with the, your employees or your employer, when you recognize where your identity is found and the work that Jesus Christ has done for you, then love your neighbors as you understand your newfound identity in Christ. It's beautiful. So we're going to... Could you throw that last verse up there again, Amanda?
this is going to be our our call to communion. Remembering that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus gave himself completely for us. As we examine ourselves, as, as we sing, we're going to sing, yes? Demands my soul, demands my life, demands my all. Use that as your confession. Saying, what is it, God, that I am clinging on to? And at the cross, I place these. Because I'm not the good news. (laughs) You are. Can someone, Deb, can you start me out with, with this? The whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small love so amazing so night that Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body. This is my body. Just broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, He took the cup of blessing. said, this is my blood on a hill called Golgotha that was poured out for you. I've come to serve you by giving you hope, life. Do this in remembrance of me. Those who are serving, please come forth.